0: Well, I bought the blue boat. Oh, no. (laughs) Nothing wrong with it. 1965 Sea Ray 500, 15.8 feet long. I don't think it's got the original motor on it, though.
1: No? What what does it have on it right now? Uh,
0: 115 Tower Power. Oh, that's a good motor. That doesn't run, so now I have multiple boats that don't run.
1: Well, it's blue. You know that's the that's the problem. Yeah, it's but my blue. other ones aren't. <laughs> well, none of those run either. But oh, well,
0: typical a boat builder. You know. Yeah, I suppose so.
1: <laughs> the roofers, roof leaks. The boat builder, none of their boats float. You know, typical.
0: Yeah. Well, at least mine float. Yeah. Just got to uh, take a little time and, and get it going, but it's kind of cool. It's my first fiberglass boat.
1: Yeah, I'm still wondering why you did that, but well, I
0: don't know why either, but it should be fun.
1: <laughs> I, you know, f- fiberglass boats aren't bad. I mean, I've looked at a couple that I've been tempted: Grady White, uh, uh, Shamrock, uh, you know, uh, Post, forty-six foot Post. I really like that sport fishing boat, <laughs> but uh, wife says no.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of glass boats I like. Um, you know, obviously Tierras Intrepids. Oh yeah. Viking, you yeah. take a Viking.
1: Oh, I'd take a Viking.
0: Yeah, yeah nice Hatteras. Boats.
1: Hatteras, Bertram. Yeah.
0: Bertram. Yeah. yeah there's oh, yeah. a lot of good boats out there. Plenty of, plenty of brands to choose from. So, yeah, if, if you want it, you don't have to look at it, even though it's blue. <laughs> I, I, won't ma- I won't make you go out in it. It's fine. <laughs> uh, so, today we've got a few questions um, that have come in from some of our listeners and which is kind of fun because obviously this is the only episode two, and we've already got a few questions coming in, so I think this could be pretty fun for us. Um, so I got three different questions here that I've kind of selected that I think are a good uh, intro to this format for us, and we'll start off with the first one, um, which is I'll direct it at you first, uh, which is what are your what is your favorite or most used tool. The tool you cannot live without could be woodworking or mechanical.
1: Oh, boy. So for me, uh, it would probably have to be a chisel. Um, you can do dang near anything with them. except
0: Does know. that include mechanical?
1: Uh, no. If it, if it was, <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can strip wires with it, you know, turn screws. Well, you know, it's, uh, uh, but, yeah, uh, um, pretty, uh, pretty versatile tool in its uh, uses. Uh, mechanically, I would probably say my multimeter. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's a pretty important tool for me in diagnosing, you know, things like ignition problems and so on and so yeah, forth. it's pretty go-to. common
0: stuff. So, yeah. All right. So we got. What about you? We got what? chisel and multimeter. Well, I thought about this one for quite a bit, and I think, honestly, my both of my current favorite and go-to tools are tools that I've only recently picked up and I'm not sure how I lived without them for as long as I have. <laughs> um, on the woodworking side or or boat construction side, it would be the uh, Lee Nielsen uh, low-angle low angle apron plane.
1: Oh, yeah, I tried that at two years. That thing's a beaut.
0: Yeah, I've gotten to the point where I use that for about everything. You know, uh, woodworking tool-wise, I started out with a bunch of stuff, and I've actually thinned my stuff down because I realized, like, hey, you know, there's really only two or three... Two or three planes that I use and more and more I'm just using that little apron plane for most of what I've been doing, at least lately. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's become my favorite for sure. Um, I've eyeballed one for quite a while and I finally, you know, broke down and, and paid for it and it's um it's well worth the money.
1: Yeah, and, and it's really not that expensive of a tool. No,
0: you know, not for, considering what you get. Yeah, the
1: quality is astounding
0: yeah. on it. You just got to a... you know, keep it from falling on the floor. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: any any plane, I don't know, I about cried. I had a, a number five uh, a smoothing plane. Um, it was a Bailey. Cousin's boy picked it up, dropped it on the workbench, and cracked it right next to mm-hmm. the blade, the side
0: of the frame. Yep, that's the weak spot.
1: Yep, welded it back together. It seems to be holding, but man. Yep.
0: Yeah, so that would be my go-to for the boat-building side. I think mechanical side, the thing I've found that I cannot live without, and it to contrast the plane, it's very inexpensive, is the Klein Stubby Ratcheting Screwdriver.
1: Oh, wow, nice, yeah.
0: I think it was about 13 bucks on Amazon, but, man, I use that thing all the time. If it's not in my pocket, then I'm getting concerned because <laughs> um, the way it's – set up you can um you can take the bits out of it and it's also a quarter inch and 5 sixteenths nut driver
1: oh that's beautiful for post clamps and stuff like that yeah Yeah.
0: so um you know it's got uh uh, phillips straight Torx, like a Mm. t20 i think and then uh um a square like a number one square and then the quarter inch and the uh 5 nut driver all in one tool it's about Three inches long. I Damn. think. I mean, I I've, might,
1: I might have to go buy one.
0: <laughs> well, I'm thinking about buying a couple extras because I know the second I lose it, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that's something that, again, I just kind of bought it on a whim, and it's it's one of those things that I can't can't possibly live without. Oh, I nice. would say if I was only to pick one tool, though, it'd be my six inch ruler.
1: Yeah, well, those are really little
0: heavy. six inch steel machinist ruler. Yeah. Keep it in your pocket and use yeah. it for everything all the time.
1: Yep. I like get. One in my pocket right now, well, this is actually a caliper, but doubles as a it's a general, yeah. you know, six-inch ruler slash caliper.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know. So, well, I'm impressed you were able to narrow it down to that. I think I knew you were going to say chisel. Um.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just, you uh, are that old guy, you know, that uh, my, my, if I had my ideal tool set up, uh, you know, my, my ideal toolbox would have um, a few clamps, Cause you always need those. Yeah. A handsaw, probably a 12-inch uh, Japanese Ryoba, the shipwrights version of uh, what the student shoes here. And, um, you know, a, set, a good set of chisels and a mallet. Um, and that's really just about everything you need. Yeah. Skill saw, skill saw. Have yeah. you
0: ever read the Anarchist uh, Toolbox? No, Your I, tool have, chest? Not. I yeah, have not. Yeah, you'd like that. Yeah. Um, he basically talks about in that book how... For woodworking, you only need 40 tools, and he lists out what they are and why you need them. I'll
1: be there. Yeah, yeah. I check that out.
0: um Yeah, it's pretty interesting. um So I'm just going to tag on to that question because it just popped in my head. What tool do you want next that you don't have, but you've always wanted? Or, you know,
1: your little low angle plane. Yeah. Your lean some low angle plane. So yeah. After you left it to me to that day. Yeah. Oh, man. It was so nice. uh uh, we were shaving down plank bubbles for a uh, lap straight hull, and, and uh, boy, it just fits so nice in your hand, and it cuts just smooth, and has enough mass to it, you know, that mass it has that uh, inertia, that kinetic energy inside it, and uh, when you're moving it, so it doesn't uh, chatter, and, and uh, for such a small plane, it has weight to it, and that just really nice, and the fit fits your hand nice. Uh, Good quality steel iron in it. The blade is really Mm -hmm. good quality steel.
0: Yeah, I Um, like the Lee Nielsen irons are thicker. Yeah. You know, they don't warp. Um, You can lap them much flatter. They're better grade steel. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is, so if Eric's wife is listening to this, (laughs) if you need the link to this thing for a Christmas present, let me know.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. What would you add that you don't have? A slick. Yes. God.
0: Um. (laughs) For those that don't know what a slick is, it's a large chisel. I'm talking two, three feet long. What do they weigh? Five, six, seven pounds. Yeah, they're heavy. Uh, three, four inches wide, long blade on them. Um,
1: Often used in timber framing.
0: Yeah, Japan woodworker has what they call a Japanese uh, uh, boat builder slick. I've been looking at the back at that. It's a hollow back one. Oh. Um, I haven't sprung for it yet, but it's surprising you wouldn't think a chisel that size would be useful for much but you have a, actually a lot of control over it um, you know we had one we had one at Rubens that was kind of it was his tool but it was a you know kind of communal use a little bit <laughs> as long we could use it as long as we could put it back nice and clean and sharp and um, yeah if you're even trimming plugs yeah you wouldn't again you wouldn't think that a tool that size, It looks like a cartoon thing when you're holding it because it's just massive. Um, You know, we're used to seeing the small bench chisels and stuff, but that's what I would get.
1: And, and, you know, the precision you get out of it, it has a lot to do with the length of the handle. Uh, A movement of your hand has to be a lot more extreme to change the angle at at the point of contact of the wood. I was just explaining this to, to my students in class this week. Uh, I was demonstrating uh, the double nib scarf joint, um, and I was using one of the students' slicks to cut the angle between the two nibs. Mm-hmm. And the, the mass of it, you know, it cuts through, you know, crappy pine 2x4 like butter. Oh, yeah. You know, it shaves just beautiful, the most thin, little curls If you need to take
0: a sliver, you can, but if you want to whack off a half an inch, that's not a problem. And it will.
1: It's it's an amazing tool. So, yeah, dang it, now you got me thinking I really should add one of those to my uh, box too.
0: Okay, So well, maybe we can get a group of Two Christmas presents, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so another question. This one is more specific to a boat. Um, The question is, I have a wood hauled boat that has been on the trailer for many years, and I noticed the bottom is no longer flat just ahead of the transom what's happened to this and how can i fix it
1: mm, yeah so this is actually fairly common for uh, boats that aren't supported well by the trailer uh, rollers especially are really bad uh, for the bottoms of wood boats and what's end up happening the weight of the motor uh sitting in the trailer the wood's drying out uh, it's, it's gravity it's literally trying to force the uh, rollers through the bottom of the trailer the wood is giving so it's uh, actually starting to uh, bow upward and uh, you know it's, it's a very common we're, we uh, see it a lot uh in restoration and of uh, things had a mm-hmm. 1907 uh, uh, cat boat that mm-hmm. uh the, literally the frames have been broke uh from it sitting on the trailer for so long. come out wow. of an old barn probably haven't been in the water and 50 years so you know solution for that at least uh, you know my opinion is a you know you don't you can pull the boat uh back to its original shape mm-hmm. but you got to do it carefully it takes a long time to do it and you have to keep the wood very wet so it's malleable and more uh, uh flexible and uh, before uh, when you, you have to kind of overbend it some um and that's often a guesstimate You know, uh, when you do get it overbent uh, to what appears to be, uh, what you think might uh, be sufficient, um, depending on the severity, the area of the uh, deformity, uh, you might consider, you know, quarter inch extra bow outward. Um, You can, uh, it has to dry before you relieve the force that you're using to bow it back out. And that brings us up to the other thing is, is what to use for the force to bow it back out. You can stack weights uh, in the area um, gently. Of course, you got to be careful. You don't want the weights to punch right through the bottom of the boat. Right. Um, I have used uh, threaded rods and, and truss beams that are is attached to uh, blocking uh, to the keel or to the transom itself and uh, pull it. You know, a couple of turns on the nut a week is it. Just mm-hmm. a little bit at a time. And she's still going to crack and
0: moan and groan. So,
1: what I mean, what, what, did, what would you do in a um, similar situation, Matt? I mean, yeah, basically
0: the same. I think the first question is, you know, when I hear that scenario come to mind, the first thing I think of is a small outboard runabout. Yes. Because often what happens is the weight of the motor hanging on the transom. And it's not that this doesn't happen to inboards, because it does. Right. But with the outboard... You know, it's hanging on the transom, and that weight of that is trying to lever the transom, the top of the transom backwards. Yep. And so that's the idea behind the transom saver that you see going from the lower unit to the trailer. You know that they recommend you use. It's it's to keep this from happening and to shock. You know, not to shock load the fasteners in the boat. Um, but I always like to think about, and this was something I learned. You know, learning restoration with Ruben was you got to think about if it's moved somewhere. Then it's moved somewhere else also. Yes. So if the motor is twisting backwards on the transom and the keel and the bottom of the boat have moved up forward of that, what else must have happened? Well, yeah. Well, if the stem and the transom are now further apart, (laughs) but the gunnels are the same length because they didn't change, in order for those two points at the stem and the transom to be further apart, the sheer line of the boat at the gunnels must have tried to move inward. Yeah, yeah. So you may have multiple things going on.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to determine all yeah. the things that can happen. It takes a lot of time, a little bit of research, uh, maybe some measurements from the same boat somebody mm-hmm. else owns. Um, uh, and when you were talking about outboard runabouts, it was a very, very common thing I saw come through my shop in Lyman's. Yeah. They had those teeny trailers underneath it. They were great trailers yeah. with, uh, you know, drag link suspension, all that. But uh, um, they had that, that little roller, a couple of rollers mm-hmm. in the in the back.
0: And that's really it. Yeah, it's just focusing the, you know, it's, it's point loading the hull rather than bunks. Yeah. I would say, you know, the other thing here is how you repair that is going to depend on, is the wood actually bad and rotten and need to be replaced? Yep. Are there frames or structural members inside the boat that need to be repaired? Have they cracked or split or fasteners pulled out? So, unfortunately, the fix for it is kind of situational. Yeah, it is um, a
1: difficult, difficult, time consuming fix.
0: But the thing is, you know, and we talk about this in the MST class all the time fixing the <laughs> problem and understanding the cause of the problem and fixing the cause aren't the same. So, no matter what's happened to the boat, we need to make sure it's not going to happen again. Exactly. So, when you have a boat that's in the correct shape, First thing I would say is I don't like roller trailers. Right. At least not for wood boats. Aluminum boat, big fiberglass boat, and even some fiberglass boats will warp a little bit with rollers.
1: I had rollers go right through on a chrome line.
0: Yeah. So <clears throat> but well fitting bunks is yeah. a huge thing. And if it's an outboard boat, a transom saver kept on there to support that twisting force of the outboard weight hanging on the transom is such a huge advantage. Leave it that way in storage.
1: Yes. Without a doubt, yeah, you know, and, and I'm a hundred percent behind you on bunks. You should never have rollers on a wood boat. You, yeah, you, you should always have bunks, um, as much support as possible, full length of the keel, um, and, and like you were saying, cause and effect. Uh, you know, you can fix the problem on the boat mm-hmm. if you put it back on the trailer. It's going to yeah. do the same thing all over again. You also need to fix what caused the problem to begin with. Yep. You know, so you you need to take care of whatever was, you know, essentially in this case, the trailer, Um, either uh, get a different trailer that's going to fit it right Mm -hmm. or change it over, put bunks on the trailer so it is supported properly.
0: Yeah. So if your boat is currently in good shape, maybe you ought to (laughs) check out your trailer and how it's being stored right now and um, take care of that. And the same thing honestly goes for, you know, we've been talking about trailer. The question revolves around the boat living on a trailer, but it's the same for blocking a boat for storage if you're going to you know, say set it with a travel lift or yeah. set it with a hydraulic trailer or, or take it off the trailer in any form, you know, if it's sitting on blocking and on um, jack stands or poppets, you really need to make sure that it's supported well for the winters, you know, yes yeah. the same way. Oh, yeah, it's
1: just as critical. Yeah. And maybe even more so for the bigger boats because there's so much weight and mass involved, mm-hmm. uh, tre- tremendous number of m- amounts of uh, keel blocking um, you know, uh, engine stringer supports underneath the center of the hull, not just out at the chine, yep. uh, because you can get a, a bad sag in, in that area. And we actually teach this in in, in uh, my class. We have a, a section on hogging and sagging, which is uh, pretty common. Um, yeah. You know, I, I like to use the USS Constitution's last major overhaul for that, where they built essentially. A railroad tie sandbox with blocking on top of the sandbox, and they'd shovel the sand out, yep. and it would settle, and the ship would slowly settle to get the hog out. It looks like a hog's back, which is when the uh, two ends of the boat settle down, mm-hmm. and the middle gets pushed up. So,
0: yep. So yeah. So no simple answer on exactly how you fix it, other than it's going to require a bunch of work, and it's going to depend on how the boat's built and how it's broken.
1: And careful assessment of what. But it damages. Is, yeah, but it is yeah. a
0: fairly simple um, prevention,
1: right? And and some people may say, "Oh man, a threaded rod. What do you get? How do you get that through?" Well, you know, it's a wood boat. You can drill a hole through it and put a plug in. Yeah, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. You know, um, and if you, if you do that kind of a technique, you you want a some type of a piece of blocking that's going to span several frames. Um, or depending on the construction, if it's a a steam bent frames, you might span four or five frames. If it's sawn frames, you need to span at least a couple, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, you want to spread that pull a little bit and, and, and the block should be able to flex a little bit when you're pulling, you know, you you want, uh, you want it to, um, you don't want to use a three inch thick block of wood. That's going to be flat as a, you know, iron plate, but So, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully uh, that was enough information uh, uh, for the listener that asked that question. Uh, they can uh, uh, maybe get a, uh, enough, it's enough information. Hopefully they can do a careful assessment and decide an angle of attack
0: right. at least. So, Yep, coming up with the plan is the hard part. Yeah, <laughs> it is, it is. All right, next question. Uh, this one comes from someone who is wondering, why have outboards become so popular And what are their advantages? Um, I guess I'll kind of lead off on this one, you know, being in the marine service program. There are really a lot of advantages. And I think the first one that comes to mind is from a design standpoint. Most of our inboard engines traditionally, at least in pleasure boats, have been based around some form of an automotive or industrial engine, which is fine. You know, our classic Chevy small block, Chevy big block, um, Ford, Chrysler, all those guys, you know, all those companies, they all had some some version of a truck motor that was a marine motor. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's still a truck motor. Right. The advantage to an outboard is right from a blank sheet of paper, it's designed as a marine engine. And so it does have some advantages in that. Um, engines on boats operate under a much higher sustained load than they do in a car or a truck, even if the car or truck's working pretty heavy. Oh, yeah. A lot more resistance, a lot more drag, um, usually higher RPMs. So it's not that you can't convert, you know, an auto-based engine into a good marine engine. It's been proven that you can. It's just that if I'm going to start with designing a boat motor and I have a blank sheet of paper, I might as well design the outboard. So our outboards are designed with, um only one goal. It's to be a boat motor. So we do see some design differences based on how a um an auto engine would be um designed specifically for that. Another advantage takes up way less space in the boat.
1: Yeah, and the interior of boat. Big yeah. big advantage there.
0: Yep, that's that just adds room for all sorts of other things. Um maintenance is easier generally. Yeah, generally, yeah. Generally. <laughs> <laughs> I but should say your seasonal maintenance is easier.
1: Changing the spark plug is so much easier on an outboard than it is an inboard. You don't have to crawl down in a well, tight so space is and, so is the oil change. Oh, so yeah. is the oil changes fuel and,
0: filters. Yeah. Um, all that kind of stuff is is super easy on an outboard and they're made to be you know, they're, they're again it's a design thing. At least our modern outboards, four strokes particularly, they are designed to be easy to maintain. Yeah. In fact, it's you know, the filter's quick disconnect now. You don't even need a tool to replace the fuel filters. Nice. You know, you, you barely need a tool to change the oil. Right. <laughs> um, you know, they're they're really set up well for that. Um, other advantages, and this would be, I would say, um, from a technician's standpoint, if a customer comes to me and says, I want to repower my boat, it's going to be, in the long run, even if the outboard is more expensive than an inboard motor, it's going to be cheaper, or at least it's not going to be more expensive in the end, because I can rig a new outboard in a fairly short amount of time. It might take me a couple of weeks to get an inboard installation done correctly oh, yeah. by the time I yeah. do exhaust systems and a steering system upgrade you might and have lift props mufflers. and shafts. Oh, yeah. And fuel system and all that kind of extra stuff. So our labor, you know, our labor costs a lot of money, um, and so it's way faster to rig an outboard and cut down on the labor hours involved than it is to do the same with an inboard. I would also point out that um, uh, I think generally, how should I put that? I think generally customers are extremely brand loyal and so if I'm going to buy a new boat from whatever manufacturer and I can just say "Oh, I want a Yamaha on it or I want a Mercury on it or a Suzuki or Honda or whatever brand you want, I can just do that. It's way easier for a manufacturer. To say, okay, this one's going to have a Yamaha. This one's going to have a Mercury. Oh yeah, definitely. Based on what the customer orders, than it is, you know, to do the same thing with with inboards.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, and I'm I'm 100% in agreement with you. I I like uh, uh, outboards better than inboards. They're again much easier to service. Um, more space inside the boat. Uh, but I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate on this one. Go for one. it. Um, I, I grew up as a uh, essentially a uh, charter fisherman, you know, so we had uh, an I.O. in our boat, so we had an engine box in the way. But, and even with the lower unit of the engine sticking out of the back of the boat, um, we still had room on a 25-foot boat to run five downriggers across the back. mm mm-hmm. um, so my opinion on outboards is use specific, all right? So yep. if I was a, a, a Great Lakes sport fisherman, I would probably not like to have three or four outboards across the back of my boat because somehow I have to you know, get lines over top of that and fight fish around that mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So it could be a little bit of a nuisance in that aspect. And from, from a stability analysis or from a stability standpoint, I personally prefer a heavier boat because, you know, I grew up uh, from a long line of sailors and, you know, they sailed when the wind blew and when it didn't. And having that uh, heavier engine down deep and low in, in the bilge of the boat down in the center, that large weight, that chunk of ballast, uh, more or less, uh, it gives the boat a little more stability. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the new boats that are running all, uh, you know, three, four, uh, even five, you know, 450 horse outboards across the back end of it they're designed to uh do that so ben i have not actually had an opportunity to pilot a vessel like that i don't i can't say that um i like its performance better than uh say two or three large inboard engines for Mm -hmm. example so and that uh, jury's out, but uh, from fisherman's standpoint, I, I would rather not have uh, you know all those outboards in my way when I'm trying to catch sure. try fish. Yeah, push.
0: well, and we see that out of a lot of boats that are still being designed and built, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like we mentioned Viking earlier, yep, and
1: still using inboards.
0: Yeah, a lot of lobster boats in Maine are still Diesel's. built. Yep. You know, inboard diesel power. So. You know, there is, it like everything else, there is not one answer that covers everything. Yeah, exactly. But generally, the trend has been massively toward outboard um, yeah. for a lot of the reasons that we mentioned. Yeah. And um, I got to tell you, I can't believe how quiet they are.
1: Oh, they are so quiet. They're beautiful. The new
0: four-stroke outboards, Yeah. you can't make an inboard engine that quiet and vibration-free and still have it actually physically right. bolted to the boat.
1: Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's one of, the, one of the great things why I love imbo- uh, the, the, uh, the outboard so much is because they are quiet. They're, they're, you know, you go out there on the water. You don't need, you know, loud roaring exhaust when you're cruising over the water. You know, you're trying to enjoy, have a conversation with friends, family, whatever. You know, uh, as quiet as they are, you know, it's another big bonus. Yep. So, you
0: know. So which would you rather work on?
1: oh man without a doubt i'd rather work on an outboard than an inboard you know at my age i'm getting too old to you know crawl around in the bilge and try to weasel you know into all the tight spots to do the maintenance and everything outboard's so much easier Mm -hmm. you know without a doubt um
0: okay i'm gonna put a second part to that is the boat in the water or out of the water
1: well, it better be out of the water because the boats in the water—they can be kind of a challenge to work on. <laughs> it could be on. a little bit of a challenge. So and that's uh, how I
0: dropped that little client screwdriver I love so much now. Ah,
1: uh, yeah. So that's a good reason. To... Well, you know, you I, I, you don't want to swim in the marinas anymore. Uh, it used it used to be back in the '80s when we had our charter boat. I made money, you know, retrieving tools that people dropped off their docks. Oh, now you don't dare jump off the wa- dock into the water. There's uh, electrical hazards.
0: Oh yeah, so, for sure.
1: You know, you gotta watch out for that. So safety but, first.
0: Yeah, I'm kind. Kind of strange. I mean, I, you know, intellectually, I guess grasp the idea of why outboards are better. Um, obviously, our partnership with Mercury, you know, stands, you know, to support that opinion um, and the reality that outboards are are the way to go. It's the way of the yeah. future.
1: I mean, ten million people can't be wrong, right?
0: Right. Mostly. Well, they can, <laughs> but generally <laughs> well, can, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day as much of a, a pain as they are to maintain and install and uh work on and they've become so much less popular and everything i i do like an inboard
1: still like an inboard yeah, yeah yeah i mean you know the the throaty sound of the exhaust is nice uh i had a guy that would uh was always asking me to just drive his boat for him he had uh uh triple 502s in a 42 foot fountain
0: oh but that's
1: fun uh, oh boy it was fun you know, it was a 96 mile an hour top end um he just wanted to sit in the back seat and listen to the engines yeah that's all he liked to hear you don't get that sound from an outboard. Unfortunately. That's true. Of course, I don't. I haven't heard the new, the the new six hundred.
0: Well, the uh, six hundred is pretty quiet. Is but right? I got to tell you, the like the four fifty R's and the three hundred R's with the Captain's Choice exhaust,
1: oh, they yeah. sound pretty good. Get the Mercury Racing ones and yeah. we, uh, spruce them up a little. And... They
0: sound pretty good, but <laughs> I I still like my big V 8s Yeah, no, I can't blame you there. You
1: know, I, I mean, I like a good diesel. You know, well, that too. Diesel sounds good. In yeah, or two four ten Detroit's or something like I was say, that. I I like
0: I like the old Detroit's. Yeah, you know yeah. the two, two stroke. strokers. Yeah, <laughs> 53, 71, 92
1: that's series, my my like my uh, fantasy post forty six foot sport fisherman had. Uh, twin six seventy one Detroit's in it. The yeah. two strokers, and, and I'm like, yeah, those are pretty cool.
0: Yep, so. they are. <laughs> they leak a lot of oil though.
1: Yep. Well, if they don't, they're broke.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. Well, that's. That's what our questions are for this week. Um, Next week, we have kind of a larger question um, that we're going to tackle, which is going to be, uh, if you're a first-time boat buyer or you don't know much about boats, what should you look for? (laughs) So think about that a little bit because I know that's a big list. So we'll try to condense that into something that makes sense for everyone. (laughs) And um, we'll, we'll tackle that one next week.
1: Sounds like fun, and everybody have a great weekend.
0: Yeah. Have a good weekend, Eric. You
1: too, Matt. Take care.